0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Fullest Podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Elizabeth Cohen, who's a clinical psychologist breaking the stigma of divorce. She's the CEO and founder of the online divorce course and membership afterglow, the light at the other side of divorce. She's also the CEO of the Center for Cognitive Behavioral Therapy in New York City. Dr. Cohen's online course teaches women how to heal, grow, and thrive after divorce, no matter how difficult the process has been. Dr. Cohen received her PhD in clinical psychology from Boston University and was the recipient of the prestigious American Psychological Foundation Research Award for her research on the emotional effects of 9-11. I could go on, but I'm so excited to hear directly from you. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh,
1: thank you so much, Nikki, for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, I
0: think it's such an important conversation. It's something that happens to, I would say, most of our society. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, I would say, I don't know what the percentage is. I'm sure you know, but either, you know, someone's gone through a divorce or they're, or they kind of like cancer, right? Or you know someone who's gone yeah. through it, like, the family. And so it's really, really prominent. And we're not, really discussing the effects on people and their family members. And I'm interested in it because my parents have had a discussion around divorce with my, I have one sibling. So my Mm -hmm. sister and I were aware that they were not happy in their relationship ever since we were little Mm -hmm. and tried separating so many times. Mm -hmm. It was like, really difficult. I mean, it continues to be really difficult. So when I found out mm. about your book and everything, I was like, Oh, I, I think it'd be really fun to have her on because for me, like, it was like, I was five or six and I knew that my parents wanted to separate, mm. but they like felt that I think because of my sister and I, and, and for me, I would just cry and say, no, please don't. And then they didn't and so right. I was like oh great they're not going to because of me but like obviously the the result of that was growing up in a household that was really volatile and yep. felt like a war zone constantly yep. and um and on uh, to be honest it it's literally hasn't ended like there was a period where I thought it ended and then um they're in like a, they've been in like a 15-year court battle wow. so Yeah intense divorce and it's like, feels like it's about to end. So Mm.
1: that's,
0: but it's been interesting, like the effects of it. Um,
1: yeah. And you know, Nikki, your situation is not unusual, sadly. Um, Yeah. yeah, many people, um, have grown up in homes where parents thought they were helping the kids by not divorcing and not splitting up. And what really gets missed in that circumstance is what you described so painfully, which is the sense of insecurity and lack of safety that comes from living in a house with people arguing, or even if they're not arguing, because I hear that a lot, well, we don't argue, you know, cold shoulder, icing people out, not holding hands, not connecting, not living with your partner as your best friend, that impacts children. And I i get the fear that divorce is going to really screw up the kids. I have a whole uh, course that I teach on that, like how not to screw up your kids. I get that. But honestly, you have to think further along. What is the impact of someone who's had to live with this level of hostility? How does it impact your kid's sense of safety? How does it impact how they see relationships? Like that also has a huge impact. And I think we get um, really lost, I think, in this idea of we shouldn't divorce. And I don't think about all the effects that you are so open and honestly sharing right now. Yeah, it's, it's interesting.
0: It's an interesting dynamic too, because as a child, then you think you can control the situation by Or, um, I'm going to, or like try and
1: be better, you know, or exactly. Well, because the way children's brains are developed are that we are self-referential. Because we need to understand how to control our environment. And so if something happens, we automatically think, how can I make this better? What can I do to change the situation? So even though your parents might say, this is not about you, this is about us, internally and in your nervous system as a child, you think, if I was just smarter, funnier, quieter, whatever it might be, fill in the word then this might not be happening. And so you take on way more responsibility than kids need to. I think about this in my second marriage, Um, my children, you know, they do not think about how I'm doing or worry about my relationship or worry about my feelings. It's not their job. And so that's a gift I can give them to not be preoccupied with what's happening in my life.
0: Yeah. And I think that's really amazing that you know that obviously it's, also as part of just your profession. And I'm sure you've done so much work on yourself, but with (laughs) my parents, it's like, Oh, you don't understand where I'm coming from. This is why, you know, and it's just like, I, and I think exactly that it's like, you are as a child put in a situation where you just have to grow up really fast. And for me, I ended up um, meeting my husband in high school, like when Mm. it got really bad with my parents. And we've been together ever since and um, have created a, and we've both come from, like you said, it is very common Mm -hmm. um, how long it can go on in the court system. And especially when attorneys are Mm. uh, like, feeding off of the family's emotional drama and like doing totally. the battle because it, it benefits them. It doesn't benefit them to end anything. And, exactly. and so my husband actually, like his parents went through a very similar situation and it was just like just ending when we met. And so we just like totally bonded and mm. like bonded each other and are doing things so differently. And I'm grateful because I think part of, probably your work too, is helping heal women and anyone I'm assuming could pick up your book and, and feel that they could heal and thrive after divorce and therefore teach their children, um, better, healthier habits. And, and that will then in turn affect their future relationships. So I'm grateful that I was able to just kind of have an awareness around it that was different, but I think that, it is really crazy. I mean, I know, so I have family members that are going through it and I'm watching their children and I'm like, Oh my God, that was me when I was little. And mm. the parents are like going at it and manipulating each other and like trying to get custody just because out of, right. out of you know, and it's so insane. So, and then also like my own family situation, I, I've, now that it's like really coming to an end, that's what I was like really interested about with your book as well. I think that it's been so long Mm -hmm. that at least for my mother, Mm -hmm. I literally think that, I mean, this is obviously super personal, but I just am really personal on this podcast. But like, (laughs) I really think that she's scared for it to end at this point because it's been so long and such a big part of her identity. And so for it's so wonderful that you have, um, you know, compiled all this work and, and shared it with people. And I'm curious what inspired you to do it. And yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you're right about your mom. You know, there are, there are ways in which divorce can really become a job. You know, it's something that has taken up so much of her heart, her mind, her soul. Um, and so, Definitely, there's going to be a transition period. And in a lot of ways, you know, um, by not letting go, by holding on to the rage, by not processing your feelings, um, you hold on to the person, even if you don't want to actually be with the person. So there's this real kind of clinging that happens. Um, and that's why I think people, you know, fight for custody even that they don't want it or don't want to agree to Christmas or to Hanukkah, you know, like to these pieces that people don't want to just release. And, you know, the premise of my book is if you do the exercises in the book, if you read the book, then you will heal yourself. And by healing yourself, then you can release the relationship and see it as having given you everything you possibly needed, that we need to release it before we can move through.
0: This week's episode is sponsored by Odomont, which is tomato spelled backwards. Founded in 2018 when entrepreneur and foodie Andrew Suzuka created a flavorful sauce his picky eater daughter just couldn't get enough of, Odamont is the perfect way to add a nutritious boost to your family's go-to meals. If you've ever tried looking for an organic tomato sauce, you will know just how difficult it is to come by because tomatoes are typically found to have high levels of pesticides and herbicides, which is why I'm so happy to have finally found and able to share with you all a trusted brand that can be purchased in a pinch at your local Whole Foods store. It's also available in a fiber-rich and dairy-free vodka sauce. And as always, we love sharing special promotions just for our fullest fam. So, for 10% off your order at odamontfoods.com, use code THE FULLEST at checkout. I think that's so beautiful. And it's been such a common thread that through different professionals and doctors that I've interviewed, mm. whether it's on parenting or um, regarding this divorce or anything, mm-hmm. it really comes back to. When we work with ourselves, when we're more mindful, when we have self-care, when we feel more connected with ourselves, then it just automatically reflects and shows in the, you know, different areas of our life. So it automatically helps us heal these other issues or that we're seeing. And and I love that, that your book offers that perspective.
1: Yeah, it does. And
0: I I just want to say, like, I think in divorce... Yeah especially, I mean, with being a parent, right? Like, you know that that's going to help. But at the same time, maybe a parent is um, is on some level, at least aware that their kid is just a kid. And so it's easier Mm -hmm. to accept that like, okay, I need to like do something different or take responsibility. But like when you're in a divorce, I think it's just so Mm -hmm. difficult to come out of that victimhood and blaming. So it's really just a really different perspective to take.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think also the you mentioned the court system earlier, the court system doesn't really encourage people to reflect it. Um, encourages them to collect data and evidence against the other person. So luckily I work with people who are mediators and lawyers who do believe that you need to work with someone like me or read my book before you do any work, the external work that you need to do the internal work. So you can show up for yourself really, and your children um, from a place of, as you said, beautifully grounded, present um, so that you can make good decisions. And you know, I came to this work Honestly, um, I was divorced about ten years ago. I had t- a two-year-old and a six-month-old when I asked my ex-husband to leave, and I wrote this book because I have had so many nights where I, you know, would Google. Divorce recovery and couldn't find anything um, and would just be laying there thinking, okay, I guess I'm not going to recover because there's no book about it. And so it was really important to me to write a book that used my clinical experience, my personal experience to help people know that there is, it's called Light at the Other Side of Divorce, that there is light after the pain, but that you have to be willing to look at yourself. You have to be willing to figure out how, com- with deep compassion, you know what do I need to do and what do I need to change there was a moment of my life where I was at the playground with my young kids and people asked me about my um, prior husband and I started telling these pretty gory stories we had a lot he suffered from the disease of alcoholism and so I had a lot of you know really diff- terrible stories and after I left that while they had been you know so compassionate and so understanding I felt terrible and I thought to myself am I going to do this for the rest of my life? I remember exactly where I was walking in the park and I thought, wait a minute, I could either continue to tell his story and these stories forever, or I could figure out how did I end up here and how do I make sure I don't do it again? Because my life is not over. This isn't the end of my life. What can I learn from this? And that was really um, the beginning of my journey.
0: I love that you had that Perspective and insight that it just didn't make you feel good to talk about it. You know, I think I I, I'm sure some people they just need um, to share their emotions and maybe they don't have access to a therapist or good friends or family or whatever. But like in that situation, it just makes so much sense to to say, "Wow, like why do I need to continue reflecting on it and sharing that and then and not moving forward?" So. So then you decided from there, I'm going to work on why I ended up in that
1: relationship in the first place. Mm-hmm, exactly. And for me, it wasn't any more about that person's addiction. It was how I was okay for so long pretending it wasn't happening or enabling it or um, kind of why I felt comfortable, to be honest, with someone who was under functioning, you know what was I, you know, while I was telling these stories of all the things he didn't do and how he didn't help the family and all of those things, um, I was getting something out of it. There was something that was feeding my ego because I was so together. And I thought, oof, that's a bad way to feel good about yourself is by being with someone who isn't doing that well. And so I had to really look at that part of my 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 personality and my um, approach, and I needed to start learning how to speak up for myself. I needed to start practicing, um, sharing how I felt instead of just criticizing somebody either to their face or behind their back. And it wasn't until I allowed myself the possibility and started actually looking for men as I um, am heterosexual who were humble that I even knew that it existed. And then that became the number one, um, trait that I was looking for. I talk about this in the book about how to kind of come up with your deal breakers. And when I met my current husband, who is, you know, my best friend and a wonderful partner, um, what first struck me about him was how his humility, his ability to, um, be present with me, um, to be honest, you know, he didn't have to be the life of the party, which was kind of what I was attracted to before, but he was present and saw me. And so, um, those are the kinds of things that I looked at to figure out how to do it differently.
0: Do you think that most, why do you think most people and in- get divorced <laughs> to begin with? Do you think yeah. it's a <laughs> ancestral or I'm hmm. not ancestral, but like personal shit basically, or do you <laughs> think that, and I'm sure it's a combination as it always yeah. is but like a society and like, I'm sure certain. Um, uh, geographic locations just have more Mm -hmm. higher divorce rates. And, and
1: so I'm, I'm sure you've looked into that. Yeah. So there's a few things I think that are at play. Um, The first thing is that we put such immense pressure on relationships in our culture. Um, Even the, you know, the concept of marriage, I talk in the book about, you know, we all have someone who's, you know, you think don't end up like, you know, Aunt Judy who never got married and has 17 cats. And I talk about, well, maybe Aunt Judy's happy not being married, right? There's this pressure, especially for women, that you have to be in a relationship to be successful or to have arrived or to be um, seen as, achieving anything and that's a huge misconception i mean we have, there's so many other ways to uh... Um, measure your worth beyond relationships. So I think part of it is the pressure people have to be in a relationship. So then if you're something is not going right in the relationship and you end it, we don't see it as like a perfect ending. Like you decide to leave your job. We see it as a, as a shame or a failure. So I think that's one piece. The second piece is I think we just aren't taught in our, in our world, how to communicate effectively and openly. So things get difficult. Shit gets hard in relationships. Like I have a wonderful partner and we struggle at times. But the difference between us and a relationship that kind of can't last is that we communicate about it. Maybe not in the moment, maybe not in the most beautiful way, but we are dedicated to moving through it. Similarly with the divorce, you know, I mean, I think, are you, are you holding on to resentment? Are you wanting to show that the other person is wrong? Or are you willing to communicate about your role in this? Um, what are you wanting? What are you bringing to it? And I think we're just not taught that, you know, kids take home X still in some places and learn how to build like, you know, a table, but they don't learn how to have effective communication. So I think that's one of the big, the big problems with why we have divorce as well.
0: And then with that, why is it so high in certain geographic locations? Would you say?
1: I actually don't know the answer to that question.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, That's I noticed. i sure. I live in Orange County, and it's like <laughs> way higher here than where I went to college, which was in Oregon. And I was mm. like, oh, I grew up with like everyone whose parents were divorced, and then I went to college, and like none of my friends' parents were divorced. And I thought that was so interesting. And like, I, I just figured it's because Mm -hmm. probably there's like outside, um, I don't know, but I mean, people, who knows, maybe they're more likely to cheat, I don't cheat or something because it's more. What is it tempting? And I don't know. Mm. just what I thought. Yeah, I
1: wonder. That's a good question about whether like urban areas are more likely to have, you know, divorce than rural areas. I mean, I think one thing that's just popping into my mind, Nikki, is that, you know, one of the things that does prevent people from getting divorced, I have a couple women who are working in my program now who are from very small towns. And so I think if you're like, like maybe in New York where I live, where you can be more, there's more anonymity. You're not like running into someone at the grocery store every day asking you like, where's your husband? Or, you know, um, it might be if you can have more anonymity, if it's a bigger place, maybe you feel more comfortable doing that. Whereas if you're in from a smaller town, people are always going to kind of be in your business a little more potentially.
0: That makes so much sense. It's not necessarily maybe that some people are just happier in those areas that have less rates of divorce. It's maybe the fact that they're afraid or of doing it to begin with, because that's their community. Such a great perspective. I didn't think. About that. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah. So going back to like the effect on children, I mean, you mentioned like no one is responsible, just the perspective of like knowing that no one else is responsible for my emotions other than myself. And so not placing that on your children, but i'm curious um what other things you recommend while parents are going through stuff like this to help to help their kids cope or or just kind of not repeat patterns right
1: yeah great question Um, i think there are two things that i'd really like to highlight the first is that it's so important to acknowledge that you are going through a traumatic experience when you have a divorce. And so your emotions, your ability to process um, feelings, your ability to cope, your ability to tolerate uncertainty is really challenged. And so you are going to be... Um, very sensitive and have more heightened um, triggers. So when your child comes to you with something like they come back from their other parents' house and they tell you, oh my God, uh, my other parent was so frustrating. I got so angry because they weren't listening to me, for example. In that moment, you have to take a moment and say, what is about me and what is about my kid? Because you might, for example, feel like, I know your other parent never listened to me. They never listen. That's one of their problems. And all of those things might be true, okay? But that's your shit with your, with your ex. What is this kid trying to tell you and what do you need to give your kid? What we need to give children in general is to be, feel like we're, they're being heard and validated. They don't need any extra information from us. So a response to a kid saying, oh, I feel so frustrated that my parent didn't listen to me. You could say, wow, you were so frustrated. How did that feel? What did you do? What do you want to do? Right? You just are like a curious reporter or a therapist. You're not adding any of your stuff to it. Lots of parents understandably, and in my, in my book, I have a chapter called Righteous Anger, have anger at their other partner. That makes perfect sense. It's not for your kid to know, to feel, or even to experience because your kid needs a relationship and actually has a biological nervous system program of attachment to be attached to that parent. If they start feeling like you're talking smack about that other parent, they are ultimately going to feel Unsafe and insecure, and I don't, Nick, Nikki. If you want to talk about your experience with this, but it is definitely going to make them feel unsure. They need to feel connected to both parents. So it's so important when your kid comes to you and says something negative about your about their other parent, for you to just be curious and listen, and not to put your other stuff on it. So that's the first thing. But Nikki, if you want to comment on that, I can tell you. Yeah, second.
0: I mean, I would say in my situation, it was. Um, I didn't have any complaints about my parents when I was younger or like I, I spent, my dad was at work a lot. So when I was with my mom at home, she would just complain constantly or I would hear her talk about him to her friends and I would get so offended. And so really what it did was actually like push me away more. Cause I'd be like, that's my dad. And he exactly. Yeah. And, and he's such a good dad. Right. So like, I understood why he may not have been like the best husband to her, even though I think like they were just, you know, whatever, they just had separate agendas in life and they weren't compatible. But like, to me, I was like, he's literally the best dad ever. So like, I can't believe that you're saying this about this person.
1: Exactly. And I I say, I'm so glad you said this Nikki, because I tell clients this all the time. You are literally driving them into the other parents' like arms when you say that because children need to be connected and allied to both parents. I'm sure you see that with your child. like They need both. And so they are not going to come on your side. And if they are coming on your side, that is not good. That is making them feel like they have to be pulled between an impossible situation. And the second thing I want to say is that It's really important for you to understand that your kid sees themselves as 50% you and 50% them, the other person. So if you do talk smack about the other person, there is a moment when they are going to say, wait a minute, I'm like that parent too. Does mom hate me? Am I like that? Like all of these characteristics. So it's really important for everyone to think about one or two positive characteristics about your ex-partner. And this can be, you know, what you fell in love with, what you maybe you thought like you see that they could be sometimes, even if it's not what you like. And reflect to your kids from now now and again when you see that in them. So for example, in my situation, um my ex-husband is quite curious and quite funny. And so whenever my kids are being really curious, I'll say, wow, you have such a deep curiosity for things and you love to find answers. That reminds me of that amazing characteristic of your dad, because in that moment, I'm saying something positive about the dad. So I'm not, you know, crapping on him. And it's also true, by the way, it's not just fake. And I'm helping them see that the part that they have parts of them that are him, that are positive.
0: I love that. And I want to share that my sister had the opposite experience of me where, um, she has very similar characteristics as my mom. And so my dad, as she got older and as like their divorce got worse, would be like, oh, you're just like your mom. When, you know, he, he would essentially get, you know, what would happen is, and I'm sure this is really like what it comes down to is he gets triggered, I think. And because Mm -hmm. now as an, as a woman with a kid and all that, I think she really does trigger him sometimes and reminds him of my mom. But it's really sad because I, and we both kind of like, I, I have very similar, similar interests as my mom. So I kind of like, that's what kept us, our relationship going is like, we like to do the same things. And my sister and my dad like to do the same things, but in terms of like, who we feel more comfortable with, like, it's definitely, I'm closer with my dad and she's closer with my mom. And so it's been really difficult for her. And, um, and it, it's really sad to see because he, like, I think he's aware that he shouldn't say anything, but I now I don't think he says it as often, but I can even tell continues to get triggered. Um, or she probably gets triggered by me. I've like held up some boundaries that I've needed over the last year, but like, I, I know that this is something that's probably a lifelong thing. It's not something that's just going to go away unless, obviously, they're going to continue to work on themselves, hopefully, and try and see why they get triggered and whatnot. But I think at the end of the day, you know, there's layers to healing and like, you're going to get triggered. So I'm curious what you think.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think you're bringing up such a good point. I mean, I think that I know from in my situation, when my son was younger, anytime he would act out of control, um, I would think, oh, my gosh, he's going to, you know, struggle with the disease of alcoholism. Like, I just assumed he was going to be like my husband, or whenever he did anything negative. Um, And I remember my therapist saying to me, you know, he's, he's eight, like, He's acting like an eight-year-old, like someone who struggles with the disease of alcoholism is an adult acting like an eight-year-old, but he is an eight-year-old. And so I had to keep checking myself and I still do. Um, there's a way that my son will, um, and maybe this happens in your family, will kind of sound like my like his dad, like he'll just have this intonation and I can just feel my body go into fight, flight or freeze and just feel really as if he's sitting across from me, especially because my son is now 15 and way taller than me and probably taller than his dad. Um, and I think I have to ground myself and think this is, this is now that was then this is now he's this kid my ex is someone else. I have to constantly do what we do in somatic experiencing for trauma is just remind ourselves that this is, this is now. And that was then really separating out the two people and because a trigger ha- can happen so quickly.
0: Wow. Yeah. And like you said, it's when they get older, right? Cause then it's like more resemblance exactly. and visually and there's just so many components. And yeah, I think what's also interesting that I wanted to touch on and I mentioned this, so my sister and I almost took sides. Right. And Mm -hmm. I we've been like working on our relationship a lot so that because we're aware of it and like, we're aware of how the family dynamic kind of played out as kids. But with that, that feels like we're in a like battle too. And we've taken on our parents, like, Um, stuff. And we kind of get triggered by those same things. And it's Mm. interesting how that pattern has repeated in our relationship as siblings. And Mm -hmm. really what we've noticed is obviously a lot of the arguments come down to like her feeling that a lack of love from my dad and vice versa. Right. So I think that it's really interesting how, your relationship with your spouse can just easily be imprinted onto your
1: children and siblings can have that similar relationship. Nikki, I'm so glad you're bringing this up because I haven't really talked about this and you're so right. It's such an insightful point. And I think it's a very kind of subtle message that people miss, because when people are going through divorce and you saw this with your parents, they're so absorbed with themselves. That's, I mean, that's part of why I did this book is to help people become like a little bit less absorbed with themselves in this, in this preoccupied way that they don't notice the subtle ways that they're impacting people around them. Um, and I think you bring up such a good point. And, um, I have a situation in my family where my parents really should have gotten divorced and never did. And that was, has been really terrible and awful for years. And I don't know, Maybe that's why I also wrote this book. (laughs) Um, and my sister and I both had, one of us was allied with either parent and it has, you're right for me too. It has taken a while for us to be able to come together, um, without kind of carrying like the, our parents' torches is how I feel like they're always with us when we're talking in some way. My, the one I'm allied with and the one she's allied with, um, And it's, it's really important. I mean, this is sibling relationships are hugely important as to support each other. So you're impacting how your kids get along with each other. And of course, it also impacts romantic relationships. So I think you and your sister are so lucky to have each other and be willing to talk about the triggers and be willing to talk about what's coming up for both of you. Um, I think a lot, I think it probably happens in many families and and they don't, um, talk about it. Such a good point.
0: Yeah, we've been really lucky to have the opportunity to really explore that. I mean, we've been in therapy for so long, right? So I think we that found <laughs> the right people to help us because it's definitely a long mm-hmm. journey and I think you really have to find the right person. But and again, like I think it's been layers and layers and we were young and going through our own stuff, but now with we have our own families and so we're able to recognize that we don't want those patterns to be imprinted onto imprinted onto our own kids. And so um, Mm -hmm. I feel really blessed to also just be part of this community, this wellness community, be doing the work. And I, I, that's why I really wanted to talk to you because it, I think it's so beautiful. A lot of times when I talk to people, it's really picking up one person's book that changed their life right and i i think writing mm-hmm. writing your from your experience and from your um clinical experience as well is just so important and and can help so many people and as you saw there really aren't very many resources out there and so i think part of the trap of the court system and and just everything that goes along with divorce it's it's so hard as a child to see your parents go through and it's also hard for everyone to go through. And so your, yeah, your work is just more important than ever. Mm, and I'm curious if you, you could share kind of, you know, I know you have an online course, so, uh, yeah, I think, you know, some people are more about, okay, I picked up this book, it changed my life and I just did it. Yeah. Cause you just like intuitively know you just need to do it. Or some people are more about online courses. So tell us if they work together, mm-hmm. um, whatnot.
1: Yeah. So I have an online course that helps guide you through healing through divorce. I mean again, just like you said, some people like to listen to audiobooks, some people like to read the book, right? It's a different format of learning the information. Um there's also an opportunity there to circle with me, um so to get some calls with me, which is an added bonus. Um, and then once people do the course, I also have a membership program. So we have a group that of women who meet who have different stages of divorce, who deeply support each other. It's the most inspiring group. Um, and we have session coaching sessions with me. We have experts talk, come in and talk about divorce. Um, we have lots of connecting time there. Um, so that's another opportunity to work with me. Amazing! I wish
0: that my parents could have worked with you, but well, <laughs> me too. Um, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing about your work and and hearing my personal story as well. I haven't really actually shared it on the podcast before, but um, we because we live in California too. I think the court system here is just really interesting and. And I've really gone deep into like this whole thing because I feel that it's prevented my parents from moving on. And so I think it plays such a big role in it. And um, mm-hmm. and I think hopefully by um, by people finding your work, they can see that, you know, they can take the responsibility to just not allow the system to work them essentially. And that's why I really wanted to share it as well. So thank you for coming on and, and sharing with me.